Welcome to Type Tune Tent. I'm Tom Kranz. The majesty of the sea and the spray of the ocean water are almost palpable in today's episode, thanks to my guest, Bob Gonzalez, whose passion for deep-sea fishing comes alive in his book, A Flicker in the Water. It's not just a story of catching fish, it's a deep dive into the emotional and historic bonds man has with the sea, epic battles with gigantic creatures, and cheerful tales of a lifelong father-son relationship. And I'm joined right now by Bob Gonzalez, lifetime fisherman and author. Uh, The new book is called A Flicker in the Water. And we're going to talk uh, in detail about his life as a fisherman, about fishing. Uh, Bob joins us from his palatial estate in Destin, Florida. And I join (laughs) you from my palatial estate in Little Fanwood, New Jersey. Bob, thanks for getting up at a fairly early hour and uh, connecting with, with me today. This is great. Well, hello, Tom. And uh, don't worry about the hour. You know, fishermen like to get up early. Yeah, I'm usually up by 532. I don't even know why. I just ever since I retired, my body clock is totally screwed up. But it's okay. By nine o'clock, my day's half over usually, you know. So um, as I said, uh, the reason we're here is your book, uh, Flicker in the Water, which is really a it's a it's a kind of a first person account, although you kind of tell it in the third person, you referred to you you referred to Bob Jr. and Bob Sr. instead of me, you know, and that's 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 okay. I kind of get it. But uh let's talk about first of all a little bit of your background. You 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 you're 30 year uh, Florida Floridian and I'm guessing a lifetime fisherman. Where did you first get the fishing bug to get it from? <laughs> Is it in your genes or did you learn it or did your dad pass it down or, or how did that happen? Well, uh, I liked it from the time I was a little kid, um, you know, seven, eight years old. I used to like to catch fish and even in the lakes and the freshwater, bluegills and sunnies. And uh, I used to fish with my dad in New Jersey at Barnegat Light. We would go every summer. I was raised in Pennsylvania, uh, but we used to travel to uh, Barnegat Light, New Jersey and fish for bluefish. And then in the summer and cod in the winter. And uh, he actually grew up in Cuba where there was a lot of fishing, you know, uh, Santiago de Cuba, where they have a lot of wahoos and dolphins. Mm. And yeah, so that's where I got my first taste of it was in New Jersey. Cool. Yeah. Well, so uh, I'm, of course, familiar with where Barnegat Light is. Uh, New Jersey is one of my, and you know, full transparency to both you, your dad and my viewers and my listeners. I am not a fishing guy. I've been fishing in my 68 years of life exactly twice. Mm. One time when I was a teenager, I went out on a friend's rowboat on a lake in the Pocono Mountains. Okay. And we caught these little fish called sunfish. Yeah. Right? They're not eating fish. They're these beautiful little yellowish orange mm. fish. Mm. And we caught them and then we threw them back. And I said, oh, this is kind of cool. And then the second time I fished, I was an adult. My wife and I went out on a friend's Boston Whaler, which is a, a small kind of flat bottom fishing boat, uh, into the bay off of Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, it was the sea was really choppy that day. We didn't mm. go out really far, but it was so rough. I was sick the entire time. You know, yeah. the good news is I never actually puked, but I just didn't have a great time. But my friend Steve caught this uh, very nice sized, very ugly fish. He called it a tog. Does that mean anything to you? I've heard of them. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. He wasn't 100 sure what it was anyway. But he caught something. And this was years ago. So that's my my mm. sum total of 
knowledge about fishing other than yeah. what I've seen in movies and on TV. You know, to me, mm. deep sea fishing, I think of the film Jaws. And, mm. you know, I saw a couple of parallels in your book, the whole idea that you're fighting with this large beast and maybe you're going to get him and maybe he breaks away. Uh, so um, what I liked about A Flicker in the Water is that it talks about more than just kind of the catching of the fish. It's about being out with nature. It's being on the sea. It's appreciating things like, you know, the fact that you're out there, the fact that we have this incredible natural resource. And I'm guessing that's part of the lure for you as well, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. When you're out there on the ocean, it's just you and the sky and the water. And uh, there's something very uh, soul satisfying about being out there, for sure. So you're, you're primarily a deep sea fisherman, correct? Primarily, yeah. And so that means you go out into your home port is Destin, Florida, which is Florida Panhandle, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Right. What I know mostly about Destin is when I worked in the news business, uh, the Destin was often the bullseye for a hurricane. Hopefully you Mm -hmm. don't have any of those this year. But um, you you write a lot about going into the Gulf. Uh, You see like the big oil rigs in the background and you go out far enough so that you don't actually see anything. All you see is ocean all around. What's that like, especially in the early days? Is that scary at all? It it doesn't faze me at all. You know, I know a lot of people don't like that. They like to be able to see land from where they are. But I don't know. To me, you, you have your instruments, your navigational tools, your compass. Uh, you don't really need to see the land. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all, really. And um, A Flicker in the Water is your second book, as I understand, correct? Tell us about your first book. What was that called and what's it about? It's uh, Eagle's Claws for Freedom's Cause. It's um, basically about happenings in our country and about politics and things like that. So I wanted to do a little bit different one this time and uh, and do about nature and fishing and that sort of thing. Yeah, good. And so I've seen on your website, I've seen that you've been on some other interviews and podcasts and mm-hmm. you spend a lot of time about talking about kind of harnessing happiness and that's kind of my that's my short yeah. uh, yours yeah. but it sounds like like you found you know in fishing anyway you found you kind of solved that to some extent yes well it's something i love to do you know uh although i have had my experiences like you say i i you know where i've been tossed around in fact the other day i said i i felt like a piece of loose change in the washing machine it was so rough out there really <laughs> I, yeah yeah, that happened like a week ago, and uh, I get a little woozy myself, but it's never stopped me from going, you know. When I was a kid, I got sick a few times, and I still went, and we still had some great catches some of those days. <laughs> what do you do for work? I have a small business. Uh, in fact, that's why I came here to Destin um, originally. Uh, we I make the small pre- the um, soft pretzels, the hand-rolled soft pretzels in a oh, mall. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And with this, the name of the store is the pretzel twister. So I named the boat the twister. We have to talk offline because I make German soft pretzels. Okay. I make them from scratch and I hand roll them. What a pain, mm-hmm. but I yeah. do it. I hand roll them and I form them and man, they come out. I mean, the recipe I use is fairly basic. I mean, it's, it's basically mm-hmm. water and yeast and, and, yeah. you know, flour and a little bit yeah. of, salt, a little bit of sugar. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. all in, you know, yeah. the kind of rise you get. But I think that's really, that's, that's really, boy, talk about a small world. You make pretzels, huh? So now well, I got to yeah, come I, to Destin and try one of your pretzels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're not talking about fishing. We're talking about pretzels. So we switch in <laughs> back to your other life. Yeah. Uh, so you said that you, you, you have, uh, your family has Cuban roots. Your dad was 
uh, was born and raised in Cuba. When did he come here? And were you born there as well, or you were born here? I was born here in New York. Okay. And how long yeah. has your dad been here? He came here around age 14, and he's been here ever since. Um, I don't know if he'd want to admit this. He's 82 now. <laughs> but uh, he's been here since about age 14. And you guys still fish together? Yeah, we just went last week. Um, we caught some snappers and some groupers and a couple of the kingfish and the tuna. You know, father and son fishing seems to be one of those iconic, uh, I guess, father-son events that, you know, it's like having a catch with your kid. You know, it's it's just yeah. one of the ultimate ways of, you know, father and son to bond. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've been doing it all your life pretty much, right? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, he got me started early. When I was a kid, I went with him a lot, and we could just continue doing it. All right, so you sent me a couple of pictures, and I want to talk mm -hmm. about uh, this one picture about this fish called uh, – the fish you call marble eye. Amberjack. Amberjack, right. Here's this picture that's in your book, and it's also mentioned – I think Mariel Hemingway – mentions it in your forward. By the way, we have to talk in a minute how you got Marielle Hemingway to write yeah. your forward. We'll get All to right. that. But there's this picture of you and your dad on the deck of the boat, the Twister, and you've got this amberjack hanging on a hook. And that sucker is like as big as you are. Yeah. So that's yeah. a typical size for that that fish <laughs> or or what's the deal? No, that was a really big amberjack. They don't get that big very often. That was a once in a lifetime amberjack catch. So how long did it take you to reel him in? <laughs> About 45 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah, he made multiple runs. Uh, see, when you fish for amberjack, you fish for them off the bottom. And uh, this one was caught on the bottom. After he, he played with the bait a little bit, and you could tell there was a fish down there, but we weren't sure what. And all of a sudden, he just knew, after he knew he was hooked, he went on this tremendous run. <laughs> He's peeling line, and <laughs> I had to throw the boat in gear to pull him out. Because uh, they'll go back in the crevices, you know, in the shipwrecks, they'll get tangled up in there and stuff. So we pulled him out of there and about he made several four or five runs. And finally, you saw these bubbles coming up from the bottom of the water. I'm thinking, what is this thing? I thought maybe a grouper or something or a shark, you know, but it uh, turned out he, it, a big whoosh came up in the water, belly yeah. up. <laughs> and it turned out to be uh, this fish that I named Marble Eye, a greater amberjack, they call them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so would you you'd have to put that in as among your top ten catches, I would imagine. Oh yeah, easily. Maybe yeah, top, top five, five even. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do with an amberjack that size once you catch him? Do you <laughs> eat him or do you mount? What do you do with a fish like that? Yeah, you can eat him. Um, th this was an old fish. That's why I named him Marble Eye because he was blind in one eye. He had no pupil. It just looked like a blue marble in one eye. <laughs> And um, yeah, so uh, we did take them to the fish market, though. They're edible. They're very good, too. So you take it to a fish market and they buy it or they butcher it or they sell it or they you get it, you get it back or and eat it yourself. Or what do you do? No, they they buy it and then they okay. distribute it to restaurants and things. And yeah. So that's what you do with the fish you catch in general. You you sell them to other people. Well, we eat most of our own. <laughs> um, most fish aren't that big, so you know we usually catch ten to twenty pound fish, and we eat those most of the time. But fish like that, we could take to the market, and then they distribute them. Yeah, I got it. So, <clears throat> I'm, I'm I'm I go back to and forgive me for uh, you know invoking the cliche of Jaws again, but <laughs> there's that one scene when you know they got the lines in the water. And, you know, Quint is yelling and screaming at Richard Dreyfus, And suddenly 
he sees that uh, he sees the line jerking and he hears it go boom. And then just like you just described, suddenly it goes zoom and yeah. the line starts yeah. heading out. And that means he's caught. Yeah. He's caught the shark and it just keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened in this case? And is that what happens often with those bigger fish? Oh yeah, that happens all the time with the big fish. They don't give up very easily. You gotta, <laughs> you have to fight them a long time sometimes before they subdue. Well, so that must be a rush of adrenaline when you hear oh, that. Oh yeah, you see that. That's there's, like you know, game on, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's nothing like it. This the adrenaline rush is unbelievable. In fact, I said in the book, uh, you know, I couldn't even form coherent thoughts for like a week after that. <laughs> <laughs> what is the longest you've ever fought with a fish? Uh, probably like. Four or five hours. Is that That's right? Fact, yeah, that fish was the fish that in t- inspired the title of the book, "A Flicker in the Water." Because, really? yeah, it was hooked, and um, we didn't know what it was. But this one took out so much line, we had to attach another fishing rod with another line to it, and it almost took all the line out of that one. So uh, I tell the story in the book on this one. This was a big, massive tuna. Um, but yeah, we fought this one for four or five hours. Wow. And so do you take turns then, or do you actually, is it just one guy sitting there for five hours and then you collapse in sheer exhaustion or how, what do you do? <laughs> well, everybody has a different job to do. Uh, you have your, your rod guy. I mean, you can switch, but if, if you do, if you're after record breaking fish, not saying we were, but if you happen to catch one, um, they won't accept it unless it's one guy on the rod. You can't hand over mm-hmm. the rod. In fact, they're not even allowed to touch the rod for it to count. Really? So, uh, yeah, yeah, they have really strict rules in the IGFA on uh, on record fish. So, if you're ever out there and you hook a big one, don't let anybody touch that rod. No kidding. So, uh, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. See, yeah. all I've learned in the last 13 minutes here. All right. So, um, we're going to get into more about why you decided to write a book and how you write and all that stuff. Uh, we'll get into that in some detail, but first we're going to take a little break and I'm going to do some self shameless self-promotion for one of my books. We'll be back in just a minute, folks, with Bob Gonzalez. We failed to halt the Earth's slow death due to climate change and environmental apathy. The planet's temperature rose seven degrees, causing epic storms, fires, droughts, and tides that ate away at our shores. Now in the year 2212, food is manufactured. Coffee and cars are illegal. The people who are left live in cubes, and the Earth is covered with bubbling lakes of a black, toxic brew. Two 23rd century rebels find a way to travel back in time to our century to stop the poisoning in its tracks and the arrogance that made it possible. Their mission is complicated by fear among their 21st century hosts and the murderous ways of one of the rebels. Read Time Travel Rescue, the sci-fi adventure called Unique and Original by Publishers Weekly. Time Travel Rescue by Tom Kranz, available on Amazon. Back with uh, author and fisherman Bob Gonzalez, author of the book A Flicker in the Water. How long has the book been out now? About a year and two or three months. Okay, and it's available on Amazon and on a website called flickerinthewater.com, I'm guessing? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold, and my my website, flickerinthewater.com. Yeah, so I do- There's a lot of stuff on that website that's not in the book. Like you said, there's videos there and interesting things about the ocean. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, there were like, yeah, nautical terms and uh, a little bit more about you. And uh, yeah, it's very cool. It says right on the cover, (laughs) forward by Marielle Hemingway. How did that happen? Well, Marielle works with my publisher, uh, Mindster Media, and 
they give her scripts and they give her manuscripts. And if she likes them, she'll work with you and endorse them. And uh, thankfully, she liked mine because I think it hit close to her home for her because Old Man in the Sea was written in Cuba at the time my dad was there. So we described events in Cuba and we described, in fact, her name, Mariel, comes from a port, the port of Mariel, which is near Havana, Cuba, um, where Old Man in the Sea was written. So my dad was on the other side of the island in Santiago, which is actually the name, the main character's name in Old Man in the Sea. So it was a natural fit and she enjoyed it. She said it spoke to her with deep appreciation. And I was really grateful for that. Well, that's awesome. So Mariel Hemingway. Uh, former, I don't know if she's still doing any acting, but her father was Ernest Hemingway, right? Her, her grandfather. Grandfather, that's what I meant. And uh, so she, you just got a phone call one day and said, Mariel Hemingway is going to write your forward? <laughs> well, we communicated online. Um, I sent her the manuscript and she wrote back saying she loved it. And uh, that's how it all got started. Well, that's great. And she writes, you know, in really glowing terms about the book and about why it connects with her. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not uh, an, an expert on 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 Hemingway like she obviously is, but I can definitely see the parallels in you know the whole battle with the sea and the fish. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's certainly you know reminiscent of of what your book is is about. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to actually get around to start putting words on paper? Well, um, I knew that I, I wasn't fishing as much because we had just um, sold the boat and we were looking for other ways to continue fishing. So. I thought, you know, maybe I should write a book about my experiences that I think people can enjoy and even learn some things from. I learned a lot myself when I was writing the book. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know that that was really interesting. Um, I'll give you one example. The uh, Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've actually yeah. been there. I went to Israel back years ago for a TV station. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's not right. It's a lake. Yeah. Yeah. And the Mediterranean Sea, as wide as it is and as big as it is, the only entrance is 11 miles long. That's it. Mm. Mm. 11 miles. I don't know how fish get in and out of there, but they do because the Mediterranean is a great place to fish. (laughs) Have you ever fished in places other than the Atlantic or the Gulf? Uh, I know just the Atlantic and the Gulf. So you haven't fished internationally yet? No. no. Well, that's got to be on your list of things to do, right? It's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. I want to let people watching and listening know that you don't have to be a fisherman to enjoy this book, right? This book sucked me in because uh, of all the, uh, I guess, the the descriptive nature of being on a boat, you know, some of the details of, you know, kind of the rock and bat. I really felt like I was on the boat, right? <laughs> and it must be, it's got to be a little bit daunting. And, you know, you take a risk when you try to write in words, about the feelings and the the sensations of you know this something so visceral as being out there but mm-hmm. i think you pulled it off and as i said that's what kept me reading you know i wanted to feel like i was you know i was on vacation i'm this guy's taking me fishing okay let's do that and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what what i what i the way i i approached it and, and why i enjoyed it so how do you physically write did you decide you're going to sit down where you're sitting right now or did you write where how did you write and where did you write well, sometimes I would do it right sitting at the desk like I'm doing now. Other times I would go take a walk outside and uh, I would sit down as the thoughts came to me and put it into my phone and uh, have it down. And then uh, I would just repeat the cycle. You know, I would sometimes I would do it walking. You never know when the right words will come. So always have something ready to write down or put into your phone so you keep it down. Once it's uh, down on paper, it can't be forgotten. The whole process took about a year. Oh, really? 
Yeah, the my book is 146 pages long, um, which is not a it's a you know short read basically, and but uh, it took about a year to get it right in the way I wanted it. Okay, did you have an editor as well, or yeah. self edit? So you had somebody like a little it? of both. Yeah, some of both. Yeah, I had an editor, my my publisher, Meinster Media. I used some of their editors as well as myself. Okay, and was that helpful? Did you find? Yes, actually, the proofreading more than the editing in my case. Uh, I think the wording pretty much I got it the way I wanted to, um, but the proofreading was definitely helpful. Definitely. Yeah, you mean things like spelling and punctuation and formatting? Punctuation yeah, that's everybody's. That, yeah. That's yeah. everybody's Achilles' heel. You yeah. know, I I still look at. I've got books that I've written. The first one I wrote and published was 2016. You know, I I go back and every once in a while I'll actually read the published book in my hand from to bend front to end. And every single time I find something that I missed, I do all self-editing and I have a, an online, uh, a, a, an app called Autocrit that's actually really good at catching that stuff. But even mm -hmm. now, you know, mm -hmm. after I've read the freaking books over and over again, I see things I would have worded differently, yeah. stuff yeah. I would have said, you know, I would have either deleted or said differently. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like an artist. You look at something <laughs> and you say, God damn yeah. it, I should have done that instead. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it is yeah. what it is, you know. For sure, yeah. As opposed to Stephen King, who I read, he did an interview once in which somebody asked him, does he ever go back and read his older, you know, some of his first books? And he says, oh, no, that's like dead skin. It's gone. It's done. I did what mm -hmm. I did. I'm moving on to other things. It stands the way it stands. So, you know, I guess you can agonize forever over your books, but but why? Do you think yeah. you're going to write again and write another book? Uh, maybe um, about um, I, I want to do some comedy, maybe and some because <laughs> uh, I like laughs. So there were a few laughs in the book, actually. Uh, but I do enjoy humor and I enjoy uh, maybe I'll write something about uh, baseball related. No, oh, really? So you're a baseball yeah. guy, baseball fan? Yeah. yeah, I grew up. I was a college ball player in Pennsylvania really? and I, I was a Pirates fan back then. But now that I live in Florida, I'm a Rays fan. I was just at a book fair. And, you know, I was at a, a place where there were like 60 authors showing off their books. And here's what we need to do, Bob. We need to write children's books. Because yeah. I swear, man, children's books, every yeah. single table with a children's book author had three people deep. Yeah. And they all had kids. You know, yeah. and every one of those authors writes about some specific thing. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm never going to write a children's book. But, you know, if you really want to cash in, you want to make a children's book and sell it right next to your pretzels. That's what you got to yeah. do. Yeah, children's books, are, I think, are number one. Although I will say this book, A Flicker in the Water, is good for kids starting around age seven. Yeah, I would say there's it's absolutely, uh, you yeah. know, G-rated. And yeah. it's it's definitely, you know, a family-oriented activity, fishing. Yeah. Um, so tell us one more time, uh, where can we find A Flicker in the Water? Well, A Flicker in the Water is at my website, flickerinthewater.com. Uh, any bookstore can order it for you or online at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, but the best one-stop shop for everything is flickerinthewater.com. As I said, I enjoyed the book and I you know, heartily recommend it to our, our, our viewers and listeners out there. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me and uh, be careful out there. Okay. The Earth is dying a slow death. The 5,000 people living on the moon are in trouble. Their paradise has become a cautionary tale of human weakness.
we need a hero. Enter Rick Mack and the Planetary Commission to save the Earth, the Moon, and themselves. Moon Rescue Escape from the Dome by Tom Krantz. Now available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook. These are the questions explored in the podcast, Type Tune Tint. Tom Kranz chats with writers, musicians, and artists, most of whom found their talent by accident, late in life, or hiding under layers of denial. Subscribe to Type Tune Tint wherever you get your podcasts.